listening to What We Do in Elysium, your source for news, strategy, and discussion for Vampire the Masquerade Rivals card game. Uh, welcome to another episode of What We Do in Elysium. I am your host, Alex. And I'm your other host, Colin. How are you doing, Colin? I'm doing good, doing good. Getting ready to for a short week with the Thanksgiving holiday for all the U.S. folks. Um, so yeah, excited about that and, and getting to take some time off, hopefully play some games, you know, eat some good food, spend some time with friends and family, all that good stuff. Yeah. yeah How about you? Here. Yeah, about, about the same thing. Um, got some family in from out of town, so that'll be good. And uh, yeah, family and food. <laughs> yeah, it's a good, it's a good time of year. Yep. Some Fun, fun couple months coming up, uh, but that's not what we're here to talk about. Oh, uh, we're here to talk about rivals, and we have uh, before we start talking about our stuff that we want to talk about, we have some actual game news. Yeah, yeah, it was big uh, news. At least I, for me, kind of came out of nowhere this week on the stream, but it was exciting to hear. Um, we had some kind of errata come yeah. out on the stream. Yeah, it definitely did seem like it was out of left field. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, of no course. no events going on right now. Right. Uh, Prin- Prince was, let's see, almost three months ago? Yeah, yeah uh, prob- probably also, uh, probably sort of due to the fact that I think Holland, Matt Holland is on vacation. So some of the, I'm sure some of the kind of social, you know, um, uh, alerts or whatever weren't, uh, you know, cause he, he kind of handles a lot of that yeah. usually. So, so I'm, I'm, you know, but, but I mean, n- not in a bad way. I don't, I don't want to make it sound like it came out of left field in a bad way. Right. Yeah. Um, no, it was, it was a good surprise. And I think th- these are some good changes. So yeah, before, before we keep people in more suspense, um, right. Let's, let's go yeah. over the errata first. We actually have two different things to talk about. So we have some official card erratas. Um, yes. The first one that I think is the biggest, or at least the one that we'll probably notice quicker is Sucker Punch. Sucker Punch is going from two inherent damage to one inherent damage. Uh, what do you think yep. about that change? I think it's good. I mean, I think Sucker Punch, it leaves Sucker Punch still a strong card, right? Uh, I mean, two BP means almost anybody can play it. Um, still has targeted, which is the really important, or yep. one of the really important parts of it. Um, and so now it just does slightly less damage. So it means that you know, it makes it slightly less overpowering at just click delete a, a vampire. Yeah, like you said, the the main the main reason you're playing this card is mostly the targeted. I would doubt that very many attacks were, you know, would have failed if you didn't have that one extra damage. Um, usually, if you're if you're playing an aggro deck and you have sucker punch, you're probably overkilling people a lot of the time. So. One damage isn't going to ruin the card, and I think with it being targeted, I would say maybe even if this card was zero damage, you're still probably going to try and play it. But one is a good stepping point. Yeah, um, and I think I think in particular what it does is it helps make it harder to just knock out like a leader, right? Like a you right. know a, a full health or relatively full health leader. Um. Two damage. I mean, I, I know it's only one point of damage, but sometimes, again, when, you know, when you're knocking out like a, a two or three BP character, a lot of times that doesn't make a big difference. But when you're trying to go for after the fives and sixes, that point can be pretty big, right? And and right. forcing them to maybe spend two actions, both their actions in a turn, on knocking out your leader instead of just sucker punch, 
you know, around the blocker for the first one and stuff. I, I think that's actually it's it's a big hit without really making the card, you know, bad or, or at all. Like, I still think it's a really good card. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. I think it's it's not it kind of felt overbearing uh, the way it was. But I think now it's just solidly a really good card. Agreed. Uh, why don't you go over the next one? So the next one is Hunt the Hunters. So this is a little bit of an, uh, a more um, nuanced change. So it still has basically all the same text. First, um, first time you defeat a sad, gain an agenda and a prestige. But now, instead of just shuffling that defeated sad into the deck, um, you shuffle the entire city discard pile into the deck. Which I think is is interesting. I I like that change. I like that it because um, I wasn't entirely a fan of when games would devolve into you already know what the, the entire deck is. I mean, most of the time events are getting burned and stuff like that, unless you have like um, what was it Chinese New Year that puts them all back, right? Um, but if you're in a game where you know mortals are getting put in the discards or um, anything else like events that ha- don't have a chance to burn themselves that are ongoing or something like that. It gives more variance to like the whole game instead of it gets to a point where you just know what the deck is and you're just pulling it be- to see what order it comes up in or something like that. You know what I mean? Right. For sure. Yeah, it definitely, it definitely adds a little bit more of that variance. And also actually, so looking at it again and rereading it, it only triggers the shuffle when you defeat the first time you defeat a sad. So like another thing that hunt the hunters did, right. was like, if you had it faced up and somebody else defeated a sad, you would still shuffle that back in. Well, now that doesn't happen until you defeat the sad. I'm not sure exactly how, how big of a deal that's going to be. Um, but I mean, it could, it could be right. Like if, if your opponent can knock out the sad before you get to them, they're going to stay in the discard pile until you can, you can fight one. So that could be actually pretty, pretty big. Yeah, I, uh, that's a good reading of the card. Uh, I didn't notice that before. I thought it was just the what you're shuffling in before. So that's interesting. Actually right, yeah. A lot. <laughs> yeah. And so, so again, like, I, I think this is still a good card. I mean, part of, part of the reason when Matt Hira said, like, on the stream is it was all over Gen yeah. Con. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and it kind of makes sense because it's just a real good sort of generic agenda and so i think it makes sense to make it a little bit more specialized a little less broadly strong yeah so we'll see how that goes uh, i think it's a good change it's a more it's it's very interesting uh, it's not something we can say off the bat like this is totally worse or totally right. better but um it's right a change, unlike the so, other, yeah 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 uh and then the last thing um this one, I think, uh, so this where Sucker Punch was uh, a nerf, Hunt the Hunters is a change. This one is a definite buff. Uh, the Madhouse, you no longer need to exhaust the leader. I think that is a huge change. Yes, and something I'm really happy to see because, you know, conspiracies, um, especially in 1v1, were just a little bit too slow, you know? Yeah, and that was like um, a very obvious observation that, almost anyone could make from a couple games <laughs> there right. were lots of people in the discord that would come in like hey i played my first game but i played the conspiracy deck and it felt bad <laughs> right so this right. helps that. so it does it helps it a lot you know it, it because now you can use that you can use your leader who if you're playing conspiracies is probably governor 
um, you know, you can use him to do actions instead of having to save him back to, to just kneel, you know, exhaust and, uh, and, and to, to put that extra prestige on your um, on your conspiracies. So, yeah, I, I, I like this change. I definitely like this change, too. Not not a huge thing, but I think it just does just enough to speed them up that I think it'll make a difference. Yeah, this isn't like rocketing conspiracies up to tier one, um, but it's going to make them feel better and it'll probably make them a little more viable. So I'm excited to see where that goes. I know we know someone who loves playing those conspiracies. <laughs> yep, sure enough. Um, okay, so yeah, we have those. Those are the three erratas. Um, overall, I'm happy with the changes. Um, they also said that they gave us the images for these. So if you like needed to print them off to proxy at your local groups or anything like that, you could do that. Sure. Uh, but they also said they are going to be printed in a future product and they're just going to be included as like a bonus so it doesn't count against like that product's card count uh so whatever you would have gotten from that product you're still getting plus some eroded cards yep which is awesome i mean awesome all around right like i think it's good that uh, as much as i'm not a big fan of uh, or i understand why people don't like errata um because it changes the way cards work but like first of all these are all i mean the, the hunt the hunters one is is a little bit it definitely works differently, but the other two are pretty simple, straightforward. Um, and also, you know, they're providing you the cards, which is really big because it sucks to have to, you know, buy something else. Um, and also, it, hopefully, you know, it probably means that, like, they're not going to want to include a bunch of extra cards in packs for no reason. So, you know, it presumably means they're only going to kind of use this this solution when they really feel like it's warranted. You know, they're not going to be just tweaking and adjusting cards all the time like a um like a lot of the you know online card games might do because it's easy for them but i I don't think that'll happen here so uh, yeah i'm very positive on this on on these errata yeah and another like situation should have come up where they need to do a bunch of errata um promos are another easy way to disseminate those like just Mm -hmm. participation promos for like an op kit or an event or something like that um because you know when now our sucker punches are no longer valid um (laughs) so we need new versions of those yeah so those are the card errata but there is one other big uh i I guess you could call it a change i feel like it's sort of a change sort of a clarification sort of an expansion on the rules (laughs) yeah it's kind of um yeah it's a weird situation and it's not even like set in stone yet it's a like how do you guys feel about this what do you think this would be like if we change right. this? Um, we're talking about the relentless keyword, right? Yes, and and I think t- kind of timing in general, but especially the relentless um, keyword. And so basically, to to give sort of the backstory for this, because I think you know Hyra did a good job of laying it out on the stream. And so just to kind of, I, so I, anyway, first of all, I strongly recommend you go watch uh, the the stream Vampire Wednesday from what would that be? I don't know. The, the um, calendar says the seventeenth, November seventeenth. So if you if you want more, kind of the whole explanation of this, go watch that stream. It's real good. Um, Hyred lays does a good job of laying out his thoughts. But I wanted to kind of simplify, you know, that to, to, so that we could discuss it. Um, basically, in the core, really, the only relentless abilities kind of had specific time work or t- timing based on framework, like Street Preacher has relentless but like you can only use him when a when somebody is attacking right so it's already kind of got a timing built into it just the nature of right. the ability but 
um, now we have some other new abilities like University Library, which is relentless and you can do at any time. Um, and then there's stuff like detach abilities where even if they're not relentless, but like you can use them on your turn. So like when during your turn, can you use them? Um, you know, so all that kind of timing stuff became more complicated. And so the basic clarification is to say, um, I, and this, so when I say relentless, I'm going to say relentless, it, it, the same kind of holds true of, of non-relentless non-action abilities, just during your turn and then relentless obviously is during anybody's turn so relentless abilities can be used during at any time during any player's action phase even in response to other things um and in response and responses kind of creates a, a last in first out stack so huh, what does that actually mean right right because uh, I've, I've 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 heard this referred to as the magic way right and i've never right. played magic so i right. don't know what this means Yes, so it, it is. It's it's basically the same basic way magic works. Um, it's definitely a bit simpler just because, you know, magic has obviously been around for forever and has a whole bunch of stuff built around it. But the very basic version is when something happens, you can declare your ability. So, like, we'll, we'll use uh, university library as, I think, a really good example. So in university library, at, whenever anything happens on any on anybody else's turn, you can say, hey, I want to use my university library, pay a blood off my leader to draw a card, right? So that could be your opponent attacks you, and you might want to use university library to try to draw a reaction card, you know? That's totally fine. You can basically say, like, when they say, hey, I'm attacking, you say, okay, I, I want to use university library. I It goes off, you know, I, I draw my card, cool. Um, it could be a scheme. So say somebody plays, uh, I think, you know, Mercy or one of the healing schemes, right? Um, and you want to, uh, it's like what four blood on a character. So say you want to use yeah. it on your, on your leader. Um, well you, you, you could, you know, declare university library and take the blood off your, off your leader. And important to note, right? Like you can do that whenever, if you wanted to do that, when they said, Hey, I'm playing the scheme, that's fine. If you wanted to wait until everybody's voted. And so you know that the scheme is going through then you can say at that point, you can say, Hey, I want to use my university library, draw that card real quick and then heal my leader up. That's totally fine. Um, another, another example he used was uh, the new Nosferatu character um, who I can't remember her name right now. Uh, the token one. Yeah. The token one. Yeah. Uh, Kim. Um, Kim. Yes. Kim, uh, who she can exhaust to burn basically uh, either remove a token or burn and on uh, any any card that has a token on it right right uh, and so like for example if you have blood makes noise which is uh the ritual that stays in play and you can has relentless you can remove a token from it to gain prestige um or influence um influence right so like if if they if that player says hey i'm exhausting kim and i'm going to burn your blood makes noise and quote you know kind of in response to that you can say okay well i'm tricked i'm using the ability on blood makes noise, taking this token off to give myself a prestige and then it gets burned. Right. So you can kind of respond and then whatever, whatever happens last will go first. You know what, what the, the last, uh, the last ability somebody declares goes first, right? That's what that like, kind of last in first out means. Right. And see, so, so with your, I, I'm, I'm torn on at first. I don't like this because I'm, 
I'm one of those rule crunchers at heart. Uh, you know, I've judged for a couple games and I like that sort of like I need that structure. Mm-hmm. And like with your with your example right there with Kim and Blood Makes Noise. So like, say I'm exhausting Kim to just remove a token and that person and say it's the last token and mm-hmm. someone just goes, OK, well, I'll just use it. You just kind of just wasted that ability, which I guess is part of it. Like, don't use Kim on a relentless ability that only has one token left because they'll just use it. So maybe that's just a line of play to remember not to do. Right. It, I yeah. don't know. I just I feel weird about the whole thing. No, and, and that makes sense. I think I think when I, I, I my initial reaction was sort of the same way, because, again, I, I'm the same way. I like I like my rules and also uh, coming from. I think we both come from, you know, FFG backgrounds more than like magic. And so we're right. used to their sort of interrupt reaction windows, um, which obviously I'm not going to get into. But basically, it's it's a much more formal timing than this is. And so at first I didn't like it. And then when I kind of stopped and think thought through it, um, the fact that basically all of this stuff is already on board like uh, meaning it's already in play, right? You're, there's right. no real um, hidden information, like, hidden information, right? And so, and so you can like your example with the last token, like you know that they can remove that token in response to you. So basically, yeah, like you said, it just means there's no sense in using her when there's only one token left on a ritual. It, you know whether that's good or bad, like that's you know that's just that's what it means, right? It's not like there's no real w- once you're used to the rule, there's no real gotcha there. Right. You know, and I can appreciate that. Like no one likes gotcha moments that blow up in your face. Like, haha, you you thought this was your best play and it was actually your worst play. Like no one likes that feeling. Right. And and so that's why, like, given the fact that because because one thing that Matt Hyra said in the stream was like part of the reason they did this is because they want the game to be simple to learn, simple to teach. And they feel like saying that basically, you know, hey, you can use this ability whenever is kind of the easiest way to learn it, to teach it, et cetera. And so, you know, given that, which does make sense, again, I'm not sure I entirely agree, but I do understand where they're coming from. Um, given that, like, the idea that, you know, they don't want to have these big complicated timing windows, like, like you know, FFG games. Okay, that's fine. But also, it would feel pretty bad if, you know, somebody exhausted Kim and was like, okay, I burn your blood makes noise. And you're like, oh, wait, but I wanted to use it. But I guess because you said your thing, now I can't, you know, get some value out of it. Right. Right. So like that, that's kind of a feel bad thing, too. You know, so uh, I don't know. I'm okay with it. I I still think I think there's still a couple of questions. The biggest thing is I still think you need some sort of priority if two players want to do something at the same exact time. Um, just because, I mean, like, again, I can't necessarily think of any, uh, of, of an example where that would matter right now, but I'm sure one will come up. They always do. Yeah. Um, but that's simple enough. Yeah. I, I this is something we talked about before is like, well, what ha- it, it, the current way it's set up now is it just becomes like a, who said it first deal, which I think mm-hmm. the simplest and I don't know if it's most elegant or just a band aid for the moment is just do player order. Mm-hmm. and like okay you guys said the same thing at the same time well you're player two you're player four you go first you go next like i, I think that's simple enough right and i can appreciate not having relentless to be a lot of uh to use ffg terms like interrupt or reaction abilities because the, you know 
it makes everyone's turn longer if you have to wait for someone okay do you do your reaction okay do you do your reaction like stuff like that um the only thing i can think of that kind of sets that up right now is dragon's roost um Mm -hmm. Because I know at Gen Con, I play Dragon's Roost, and a lot of times I would have to tell people, like, okay, hold on, I might be reacting to you attacking a mortal in the streets when normally that like that's not a thing. Uh, right. So I can understand, like, that uh, you don't want to slow down the game, um, which is, you know, an uh, honorable goal to have because no one wants, like, super long, dragged-out games of just reaction windows back and forth. Um, so, yeah, I think... Uh, it's a wait and see type thing. Like I said, they they haven't really formalized uh, like even like the specific wording they would put in the rule book. They actually kind of took suggestions, mm-hmm. uh, and then I think maybe next month they're going to put out another um, like cards and rules clarification document, and it should have the errata on there, and maybe like a first draft of the new relentless stuff. So. I guess we're just waiting and seeing right now, but I think we just wanted to put our thoughts there that we we need some sort of at least like priority system, even right. with even if Relentless is like go nuts, do whatever it is, uh, still needs to be some basic framework. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think kind of the other big thing I'm taking away from this, which again is something that huh, I don't necessarily love, but I also don't necessarily hate, um, which is you know a very good opinion to have for a podcast, but. Uh, it, it's just, it's, it's going to be a little bit looser, right? Like, you know, when, when you say, okay, I'm, I'm doing this thing, like I'm resolving this scheme, you know, we all vote and then like, okay, looks like it's going to pass. And somebody starts to, you know, heal their vampire. And then somebody else says, oh, wait, I want to use university library before I heal. Like, you know, just kind of let that happen, right? Like, don't, don't, I think the the intent from the rules team is pretty clear, like from, from Matt Hira is pretty clear that like they don't want a game in which, Oh no, you missed your trigger window. So sorry, you can't do that. Right. I mean, like that's not to say, I think it is going to yeah, lead to a lot of that though. It's going to lead to a lot. Of, I mean, I, I, and I think it's fair to say that, right. Like once, once play has moved on, yeah, you know, like it's too late. Like you know, if the scheme once you've reached you, a point of gathered knowledge or a state change, like like sorry, you forgot like, exactly. <laughs> but but I just think in general, I think it's gonna be a little bit a little bit looser, a little bit a little bit more forgiving. Um, and again, like I said, I'm not sure I love that because I think there's gonna be some problems in tournaments. But I mean, as a like as a casual game, I don't think it's a big deal at all. Um, you know, it's just going to be in a tournament, and and really, what it's going to come down to is just you know, be be a little looser in the timing. And I know that's hard to, it's hard for me to say, <laughs> right? I know as as a rules person, it's hard for me to just be like, eh, eh. But like, that's really what it is, right? Like, you know, if, if somebody if somebody starts healing their vampire, and somebody else says, oh wait, I want to use university before I healed. Okay, that's fine. Sure. Yeah. Like nothing really changes. Nothing really changes. It's all on board. It's not like, you know, they change their decision. So, you know, whatever. It's fine. It's I I get why they're doing it. And like I said, after thinking about it, at first I didn't really like it. After thinking it through, I'm much more middle of the road about it. <laughs> I guess. Like I it's not how I would do it, but I understand why they're doing it. I don't think they're I don't think they're doing it just because they want to, you know, blow all of us people who like strict rules minds. 
I make us blow a fuse. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that that was the two big things out of the stream from last week. So we had the, the three card errata and bringing up uh, Relentless. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are the big things from there. Um, so the other thing we wanted to talk about today was deck archetypes and how Rivals doesn't necessarily fit all of the classic archetypes, I guess you could say. Right, um, right. So, so go, go ahead. What, what do you call deck archetypes? Right, yeah. So archetypes, I think it's a it's a really useful way of broadly describing decks. Um, the way I kind of, you know, it's it's like it's like genre for, for music or a movie, right? Like, oh, punk or rock or um, rap or I don't know. Those are probably the only three genres of music that matter. Don't at me. Um, <laughs> no, but um, you know, or, or movies, right? Like it's it's a broad way of describing kind of what you can expect, but it's not really supposed to be a hard line. You know, like oh, is is this exact song? What genre does it fall into? Like there's you know yeah. those those it's fluid. Ca- yeah, those categories are very fluid and very blurred, and they can change over time. Um, but it, that that it's still useful for sort of talking about, hey, you know, this type of music has has done this thing, or this type of movie has, you know, we haven't seen a lot of, you know, fantasy movies in the last three years or whatever, you know, whatever that that looks like, right? Like it, it's a helpful way of talking about things, but that doesn't mean that it's like a very strict classification, right? Um, so narrowing down on archetypes for for games, I think it's it's important to note too that like it's not defined by like what game mechanics you're using. So like you know animals or um, titles is not like an archetype. Um, that's just kind of what you know what <laughs> what what tools the game gives you that you're using. That that doesn't mm-hmm. mean it's they're puzzle pieces in the game. Exactly. Yeah. That's that's looking at it from kind of a different a different way. Um. So, yeah, I mean, I guess that's kind of what I mean by archetypes. Um, another thing real quick I wanted to get in at the beginning is that when we go on to talk, the rest of this discussion will be mostly focused on 1v1. Um, that Archetypes, I think, still apply plenty well in multiplayer. I just don't think that I have enough experience or data, and, and pro- I would guess you probably feel the same way, yeah, to, talk, yeah. to talk that in depth about multiplayer deck archetypes yet. You know, we've only really had the one big event, so. Yeah, I haven't been playing as much as I wanted to lately, and definitely not multiplayer. So yeah, this exactly definitely one v one focused, but it still broadly applies. So it's nothing like that's going to be totally non relevant for a multiplayer game. Yep. Um, okay, so we mentioned earlier about what the classic archetypes is, and we all know what game set these terms up, mm-hmm. which is again Magic. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have your four, I guess. Um, yeah. So we have aggro, and everyone knows aggro. It's go fast, go ham, smack your opponent around a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, control is like uh, cancels abilities that reduce your opponent's effectiveness. Anything that says no, pretty much. <laughs> Uh, combo is uh, a card that might not look like anything on its own, but when you get you know two, three, four, five other pieces together, um, they com- it's in the name, they combo together, and you usually have a win condition that you're playing towards. 
And then mid-range is something I always have a hard time, like, wrapping my brain around because it is, like, just good stuff. And mm-hmm. it could be good stuff aggro, good stuff control. Um, usually not combo, at least as much as I've seen, because combo just requires you to usually just... you you put your whole deck towards the purpose of the combo. So I don't think that really fits mid range too much. So mid range kind of just sits between aggro and control. Right. Yeah. I think that's probably pretty fair. I think the, the, the way I like to visualize them is sort of the triangle, right? Where aggro control and combo are the points. And then mid range is sort of in the middle. Like you mentioned, combo sort of sits a little bit distant from mid range because, you know, yeah, mid range is basically, these are all good cards. Like the, the way I kind of think about it, and it's probably not perfect, but like mid range, if you, if I look at any single card in the deck, I'm like, yep, that's a good card. Whereas like combo or control or aggro, like the individual pieces may not look that strong, but they're much more focused on their specific game plan. Exactly. Um, why these don't always translate into rivals. Um, <laughs> the biggest one I think that we can notice from other games, um, we don't really have any sort of method of canceling or, mm-hmm. um, as you put, hard control. Um, so yeah, we, we, we have plenty of tools that can kind of whittle your opponent down or reduce their um, choices in what to do. The, the biggest thing that comes to my mind is like prestige drain. Um, because you're literally taking your opponent's method of recruiting vampires away from them. Um, right now, there's not really a lot of combo, uh, at least to the point of like, here's these cards, I do this thing, I win. Uh, I think we did get a little bit of combo with Thin Bloods, um, mainly because the Alchemy's refund actions and Frog lets you stand up. It's not really true combo to the point but it's more like action efficiency uh like with the refunding actions and stuff like that so i think that's the closest thing that we have to combo right now would you say right I, yeah i would agree i mean and I, we made this distinction in um game of thrones a lot um I, I think there's sort of little c combo and big c combo right and little c combo is like you talked about with thin bloods where they play into each other a lot you know playing alchemies on the thin bloods and then you get to you know you get the action back Big C combo is like, oh, I play, you know, this spell and this spell and this spell. And then that means that I have infinite life and you're dead. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I can't even name any good combos in magic because I haven't played it in forever. But, you know, that's that's sort of the 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 true big C combo is like once I play the specific stuff I need to play, I just win the game or my opponent cannot possibly win the game. Sometimes that's another way. Yeah, like, I'm not winning, but neither are you. <laughs> right. And then, like, I don't know, like I said, I've, I've hardly ever played Adric. Is there win conditions outside of just losing life? So, like, technically... Or are they I printed think... on cards? So, like, yeah, like, technically, I think there are. Um, I mean, there is, I know there's, like, there was, like, a poison mechanic, which was basically just a separate life tracker, so it was kind of the same thing. <laughs> um, it was, like, if you got 10 poison, you lost, so pretty much the same thing um but i mean i think it's it's definitely fair to say that in magic like 20 20 life i th- i think decking is also a win con condition in magic i'm pretty sure that's still the case um 
uh, clearly we're very we're experts on the biggest card game um, out there but i'm just a I card mean, game hipster it's the biggest thing so i don't care about yeah it. right but i mean it's it's definitely true to say that like almost every deck out there revolves around gaining life or you know killing um whittling your opponent to zero again i, th- I think basically some combos might like blow up your opponent's deck um but that's that's about it <laughs> uh the reason i ask is because rivals has more than just the one general win condition um so it leads to lots of muddling of the deck types i guess you could say mm-hmm. right like different decks can focus on different things or even in the, you know in the same game like you can have somebody who's going after agenda and somebody who's trying to knock them out stuff like that yeah um, so how do these translate into rivals archetypes? Um, why, don't you, why don't you talk about aggro a little bit? Right. Yeah. So the first one I think is still we'll, we'll still call aggro uh, <laughs> because the it's aggressive, right? It's the basic, I'm going to punch my opponent until all their vampires are in torpor. Um, so it's, it's, I think it's a little less focused on speed than like in magic because in magic aggro usually is like, I'm trying to play as many creatures as I can early on and win before my opponent can kind of get set up. Um, I mean, definitely <laughs> aggro and rivals can win quickly, right? Like usually if you're, if your game ends on turn three or four, it's because your opponent punched you to death. Um, but that's not, they're not necessarily, they don't necessarily have to win. Cause I think in classic aggro, it's like, you know, if the game goes to game or if the game goes to turn like six, seven, you you've usually already lost. I definitely don't think that's the case in, in Rivals. Um, no, go ahead. You were going to say something? No, that, w- that was not me buzzing you for time. That was my draw. Oh. <laughs> okay, good, good to know. Good to know. Um, yeah, like you mentioned, it's not really a, a deck type that's going to run out of gas um, mm-hmm. unless you're just... Uh, we don't really have a lot of discard well we we do have some discard coming up um unless you're just burning your hand on attacks that really aren't doing a lot to your opponent i can see running out of gas um but card draw is so plentiful in this game it's not as backbreaking i think yeah like you you can kind of run out of gas but also you can then kind of get that back a lot easier than you can in other games Mm -hmm. um i also think it's that that aggro and rivals tends to disrupt opponents more inherently just because if they have a character ability and then that character goes to torpor now they can't use that ability right Um, not only the ability the character had but a lot of your you know obviously your hosted actions need vampires to exhaust for them so if you are knocking out your opponent's ability to do these actions that's also going to hurt them yep or you know if you knock out their one malkavian character suddenly they can't play you know, any Malkavian cards or whatever. Right. Yep. Um, yeah, that happened a lot in Prince because a lot of people splashed for Smoke to play Sucker Punch. And then, you know, Smoke's only three BP and he's a popular target. And then they lose mm-hmm. the ability to play Sucker Punch. So, right. Yep. Yeah. Smoke's trash. I agree. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think I think it's important to say, too, that like at the quote unquote pure aggro generally doesn't pack a lot of disruption for kind of the other onboard, you know, ongoing cards or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so, the you know, the example of this deck, as we've sort of already talked about, is is the classic Bruja, you know, Hydra, punch somebody 
um, you know, stuff using stuff like Sucker Punch, Coup de Gras, attacks that have two damage, right? Like you're just you're trying to throw a lot of damage out and knock your opponent's characters out. Yep. Just stack as much as you can, whether that be from uh, actual attack cards or abilities like Cossack, Brother, House of Pain. Mm-hmm. Anything that adds a plus one to a skull or makes something uh, unblockable, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, the next one, uh, kind of leaning towards calling opportunist, and this is stuff like prestige drain, but can kind of maybe uh, we could probably call it a switch deck. It might be able to lean into like a coterie knockout, but basically you're just disrupting your opponent with more effects than direct attacks. If that makes sense. More like targeted, like point and click type abilities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think the important thing here is that, or the, I think the important difference between, I think what we're calling opportunist and what we're calling aggro is that the opportunist generally kind of targets their attacks a little bit more um, instead of just throwing damage down they're sort of trying to uh, like cut down their opponent's options, right? Right. So they're watching um, the field. Um, if uh, if you're playing against an aggro like Bruja deck and you see the athlete come up, you might you know try and scoop up that athlete because your opponent really wants it, but you can just take it away from them. You might not normally care about mortals in the streets. They give you one agenda, but it's probably more important just to take that stat away. Mm-hmm. And you know, and you're also using. Like we talked about prestige drain, I think I don't think opportunists naturally win via prestige all the time, but I think it's a strong component because it naturally limits your opponent, right? Like, hey, right. now I, I, you know, if I get you down to four prestige, it's basically impossible for you to play any more vampires. Yep. Yeah, and we we mentioned this is mo- ma- yeah, mainly focus about one v one, but that probably that specific point about being able to recruit vampires is doubly important for multiplayer because then you also run into the unique rule. So your opponent might have been, you know, uh, starved for unique vampires because everyone else is playing them. And now you're hitting them on the other side where even if they, you know, their unique vampire, they really need finally got knocked out by someone else. They don't even have the money to play them anymore. So it's just like a double dead card in their hand. Right. Yeah. And so I think, as it, as it sort of makes clear, I think opportunity sort of takes, for me, takes the slot of, of control here, like that that kind of corner. Um, you know, like we talked about, it's not really the same because we don't have counter spells. We don't have, there's no wrath of God. You know, you can't just wipe all of your opponent's vampires off the board by playing a, a card, you know, um, thankfully. Molotov. <laughs> well, all right. But you got, you got to work to set it up, right? Sure. Um, yeah, I, I don't see Molotov as really an opportunist card unless they're like they have the perfect setup for it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, it, it can. But, you know, the point being, right, like this, it's I think this is about as close as Vamp as Rivals gets to control because of the lack of the card, the kind of cards we were talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think the example that we came up with for this is actually maybe an interesting one, but uh, Malkavian, like the conspiracy deck, you know, um, because in my, at least in my experience, the conspiracy deck that tends to do the best is tends to focus heavy on the prestige drain 
but also packs a lot of stuff like discard and you know exhausting characters and all of that. All tied up. Oh my god, I hate that card. <laughs> I I I have lost to that card while one turn away from winning at least three times. Um, so yeah, I can I can attest to that's part of conspiracies as a whole is it's very opportunistic because you decide when they go off. Um, but yeah, it it can be backbreaking. <laughs> Um, some cards that we picked out, uh, Demand Obedience, part of the Prestige package. Uh, Intimidation is kind of part of what I mentioned, because it go it can go after mortals if needed, um, but also has that fear uh, portion to it, too, if you're going directly for a vampire. Mm-hmm. And one of the new cards, the Shakedown, which... Uh, there's there's not much more you can do to disrupt your opponent than looking at their hand and taking cards away from it. <laughs> yep. Yeah, and and I think uh, intimidation. I think the f- the fear is interesting too because that's a, a great example of another type of ability that you know cuts down your opponent's options. Right now, mm-hmm. that vampire they can't they they cannot use them for any sort of exhaust or action or you know attack. Obviously, um, so that's good. And I also think the shakedown is a good example of a card that. It's an opportunist card, but like it's strong. You'll probably see it in, you know, you could, you probably could see it in a straight aggro deck. You could see it in any deck. Mm. That doesn't, that doesn't mean, and that's kind of what we talked about, right? With the sort of blurred, you know, these aren't like hard divisions. Just, just because you want to play the shakedown, that's just because it's a good card. It's not because it's, you know, you, oh, I'm an opportunist because I'm playing this card. Sure. Yep. Yeah. It can slide into aggro just by taking, uh, a player's other attack cards away and taking someone else's attack card is a pretty good defense, which usually aggro doesn't build for in, um, in favor of more attack cards. So mm-hmm. yeah. Um, what's our next type? So this is the one that I kind of accidentally termed uh, homebody. <laughs> um, and so it's basically, uh, or as as I kind of like to say, forget aggro, acquire agenda, right? <laughs> um, it's this one is focused all around. This is is basically focused on staying protected and getting to thirteen agenda. Uh, you know, a lot of times this means you're going to stay in your own haven, but we have other ways of being protected now with um, stuff like first tradition that gives you secrecy in the streets, or even stuff like the card that lets you you know deflect sad. Um, damage, right? If you're in the street, mm-hmm. uh, you know stuff like that. Any anything that kind of keeps you protected, and the, what really distinguishes, I think, these decks are that they're more, way more focused on their own cards and how they interplay together, right? So this is sort of, to me, this is Rivals' version of combo. Mm-hmm. I can see that, um, and I think it, we're getting a lot more tools for the homebody deck with Wolf and the Rat, because that's kind of Nosferatu's whole thing is stay in the Haven and do stuff that other people normally have to do out in the streets. Um, So you have like clandestine, the one Haven that lets you attack mortals from uh, your Haven, even stuff like secret tradition where you can just, if you do have to go out the streets, you can come back for free and get your secrecy back, stuff like that. Uh, So I think, I think we'll see a, a good amount of more homebody decks before because I think titles is probably the closest thing to it in the pre Wolf and Rat meta. 
yeah i agree uh, so I, I, I like i like this style of deck uh nor it's it's kind of a tightrope to walk because interactivity is a big part of why you play games so when you play a deck that is all about like i'm just gonna do my own thing sometimes games go too far in that direction and it just becomes total non-interactivity and it's just mm -hmm. here's my thing here's my thing here's my thing i win um so i, I don't think we're close to that um but it is something to look out for Right, it, it, that's true. Because, because yeah, the ideal homebody game is basically a game where they don't interact with their opponent at all. You know, like they just like titles, right? Like I, I just stayed home, got some titles. I mean, maybe the biggest interaction is when I claimed Prince, and then uh, I just you know got to thirteen, and that was the game. Mm -hmm. um, and so, like you said, you know, overall in games, you huh, you can't have that sort of lack of ac interactivity be too strong. But also, like you said. I don't think we're anywhere close to that right now in Rivals. Yeah. Um, I also think, you know, another another example of this would be sort of the schemes. Um, obviously, you can play schemes in a few different ways, but like the sort of, you know, the, the PR firm, I'm going to try to burst agenda, to me also sort of fits in the homebody-ish category, right? Because you're you're more focused on getting my pieces down, getting my PR firm down, getting all my influence cards out, and then just slapping down those schemes and, and racking up agenda. Yep. Um, so yeah, the, the Tremere got a card that kind of fits into this with uh, Defense of the Secret Haven. Um, fits already into the title package, but Keeper of Elysium. Basically anything that forces your opponent to expend more resources to come at you um, would fit in a homebody deck. Yep. Alright, and then we have the kind of universal because everybody talks about mid-range and pretty much every card game i've ever played <laughs> yep yep because it's the most applicable to any mixture of deck types really um it's just right. good stuff <laughs> right exactly yeah it's it's kind of like it doesn't really matter what what all the other pillars are if you sort of just blend together and put the best you know put put all individually really good cards into a deck you get mid-range yeah, so if there was ever a vampire like that didn't really have a relevant text box, but it had really good stats, you'd probably play it in a min rage deck just because its stats outweighed its like if it has like a even if it was well maybe not if it was blank because then we just get power creeped stats right. But you're just playing it because even if it doesn't fit with the other cards that it might be like designed in mind with or something like that. I mean, I think like smoke is a very classic. Yes. Again, yeah. not that he only goes here, right? But like a deck that's just like I'm, I'm running one smoke, not because I may not even be running any Bruja cards, but I just really like smoke. That's mm -hmm. that's a mid range play, sort of. That's a mid range decision, I guess, if that makes any sense. Right. I mean, smoke extends your value, and and mm -hmm. mid range tries to kind of right. play the the middle ground between uh, to, to add more card game topics this but tempo and value it, it sits right in the middle yep um, and, smoke is and a really good of that right and importantly too right smoke doesn't need any support i mean he no, just he, like he just does what he does and he's always going to be good no matter what so yeah um, yeah if smoke said something like stand another bruja vampire it might he probably wouldn't fit into mid range as much because as we get more and more different uh, clans to play with, the mid range decks are going to be a lot varied than just the one clan. So he'll probably mm -hmm. still be good, but he might not fit into all the mid range decks so easily as he does right now. Right. 
Yeah, and so generally kind of keeping in keeping in line with the sort of they play the best cards, I think usually, uh, not, I guess maybe not always, but I think probably almost always, mid-range is going to basically have, can, can sort of win via um, at least multiple types. Like they may not have prestige drain exactly just because that's kind of a specialized thing. But like they're going to have some ag- aggression cards. They're also going to have sort of a plan for grabbing agenda, you know, mm-hmm. um, and and sort of typically the role that that mid range fills in in magic, I feel like is sort of the same here where it it basically and, you know, in magic, it's it, they say it's it's like slower than aggro and faster than control or, you know, or combo. I think it's kind of the same thing here, right, is against an aggro deck, a mid range deck might try to be a little more slow a little more controlly you know pick their spots and go for agenda against like a a homebody deck they're probably going to be a little more aggressive and try to sort of get in and disrupt they can kind of play that that real switch role of you know which are they going to be the aggressor are they going to be trying to race to 13 agenda they can kind of do both Mm -hmm. yeah i i played what's probably closest to a mid-range deck uh, for Gen Con, and it was a Hunt the Hunters deck, which we're going to bring up as like a, the probably the best example of a mid-range agenda we have right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but it won, or at least stayed alive in a bunch of different ways. I sat back and let Sad deal with people. I kept... Uh, I, I would flip to aggro when it was appropriate and started punching a lot of people. It really is the kind of jack-of-all-trades, master-of-none in the realm of decks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think another um, example of a mid range deck that I like, and I'm not sure anybody else has ever played, but like strength in numbers um, or really kind of any of the agendas that f- make you want to go out in the streets to get your agenda points. Mm-hmm. Um, because again, and, and this change, this has changed maybe a little bit with some of the new cards giving you secrets in the streets, but in general, right? Like going out in the streets is more dangerous and so if you're going to go out in the streets, you got to be kind of prepared. Um, and so I think mid-range fits nicely into those decks because they can they can be aggressive. Um, also, sort of any deck that, or at least a lot of decks, I think, that go after citizens because they naturally are probably including a decent number of attack cards, like that sort of lends itself to a more mid-rangey strategy too because you've already got attack cards in there that you might be using to go after citizens, but like, you can flip and just use those to go after your opponent too. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, did you want to talk? You probably talked better about this than I could. But how Hunt the Hunters kind of idealizes that mid-range game plan? Yeah. So, like, Hunt. I think Hunt the Hunters is a is a good example of that because you know, so, well, and this is also again before pre Arata uh, version of Hunt the Hunters. Like, you can kind of sit back. And you can just go after the sad and, and kind of rack up the agenda that way or, or, you know, sad or the or the citizens or whatever. Or you can like like you were saying, you can flip and, you know, using using those sad, letting them stay out in the street and shoot somebody. And then you also go and, and punch them. Um, now, of course, you can also build a hunt the hunters deck that's basically just aggro or, or basically just opportunist. Right. And that, mm-hmm. that's kind of the. Um, I think that, that's actually part of why, you know, be, just because Hunt the Hunters was so strong, which is part of why we saw it eroded. But it, it, I think now, especially, it lends itself to sort of a, a mid-range strategy because 
you you can use them to get agenda if you know if your opponent is too hard to crack you can pick off a sad get some agenda you know and and play that way um or you can kind of flip and hey we have two or three sad out because i'm fine leaving them in there and also when i defeat them they kind of keep going back in the deck um and then you know and kind of use that to provide extra pressure to to aggro out your opponent yeah um with with the change the aggro part of it probably got a little nerfed because if there's anything else in the deck it's uh, the sad aren't going to be coming out as often mm-hmm. um so that will probably change its game plan a little bit but it really did have portions of all three other decks before because if if you wanted to sit back and just let the sad ping everyone else you, you know you're playing like a homebody or even kind of an opportunist if if like maybe you're low and you need to heal but the sad's out there to hold everyone off or you just um part of the opportunist part is you're probably if you have some vagrants again you're fine staying back letting the vagrants soak the damage and you know waiting for your moment to go after someone else or you just go full aggro and okay sad's gonna hit you and then i'm gonna hit you and then if it comes back to my turn and they're still out there they're gonna hit you again and i'm, I'm gonna hit you again and it's just um it really had all three pillars baked into the card um so i think that that's probably why i still think that's the most interesting change that we got out of the three um yeah i agree and and like you're saying too right like i think the fact that it was hit on sort of the more straight aggro I like because now, you know, like I, I, this is not again, hard. This is not a hard and fast rule, but I think especially for um, havens and I'm, I'm, or havens and agendas. And I'm kind of, I'm kind of, this is a thought I'm having as we're talking. I sort of think that your haven and your agenda really play into the archetype. I mean, obviously all of your in deck cards do too, but like, I think it's also probably fair to say that if there's a if there's a haven or an agenda that you would play in all of these types of decks or or three of them like Hunt the Hunters was, mm-hmm. that's that's a decent hint that it might be too strong, right? Obviously right. not proof, but like a pretty decent hint that it might be too strong. Yeah, because I think in a game the way it's been designed so far, and I hope it stays that way, is that the most powerful abilities are printed on your haven and agenda, mm-hmm. so that makes total sense that that's really what's going to define what your deck kind of does. Um, so I guess we'll see if that stays the same throughout uh, the design life. Um, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, I think it'll be interesting to see. And and I think it's interesting to, you know, again, to, to having these archetypes, they're, they're a tool, right? They're a tool of looking at a way of looking at the game. They're not the be all end all by any means. Um, I mean, it's very possible that somebody else could look at rivals and think of different archetypes or, you know, like maybe, maybe think we forgot one or, um, you know, maybe we kind of lumped or maybe they think that mid range doesn't really exist. And really it's, it's all of the first three, um, you know, or maybe they look at it through a totally different lens. And I think that's, that's, that's fine. That's good. Right. Right. Like that's, that's part of the beauty of this, this whole idea of archetypes is it really is just a, a sort of a lens for looking at, the game and you know sometimes it makes sense and to look at it through archetypes and sometimes it doesn't you know and and so i think it'll be interesting to see as the game keeps going and evolves and we see all these new cards come out you know how do we feel like i I wonder if we made this archetype list you know in a year from now 
how we'd feel about them. Like, do we, would we still feel like these, these are the same ones? Would we feel like we added any or, or that these categories have changed at all? I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to seeing as new cards come out, you know, how this changes. Yeah. I always get a kick out of looking back to, especially for games that last longer than a couple of years, uh, looking back to, and obviously card pool is the biggest thing that changes things and power creep and stuff like that. And sometimes it's unavoidable and you look back at a deck and you're like, wow, this is just, this is what we used to play with. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's also fun to go back and just see how metas evolve and archetypes evolve. Um, but yeah, like I said, I think to try not to think of an archetype as, okay, I'm playing an aggro deck and I have to include this card, this card, this card. It's more of like, prepping your brain to think what what this deck wants to do it's like okay i'm playing an aggro deck and i can use this card and someone might not have thought to use that card in an aggro way um but it still works um Mm -hmm. so it's not like a hard set like okay you're playing aggro here are the cards you can use here are the cards that are like quote banned from aggro it's like it's not really like that it's more of um just framing what the deck wants to do and then build it up from there Right, yeah, to to reach back into our own history and to our deck building episode, right, like the archetype is sort of gets at the purpose, that first step of like, what is your goal in building the deck? That's not to say that your purpose has to be an archetype, but if if you're going to look at it, that's kind of where it plays into it. Um, and, and also I think it's, you know, also useful for sort of, okay, uh, what do I expect to see? <laughs> like what is strong mm-hmm. right now? Um, and how can, can I handle, what am I going to do if I run up against these other kind of archetypes, right? Like, right. do, you know, okay, if I run into a deck that is just going to stay at home, protect themselves and try to get agenda and like, I, you know, say I'm an aggro deck and I run up against a, a homebody deck, do I have ways of cracking their, their defense or do I, do I have confidence that I'll be able to, to get through them or not? You know, it's, it's useful for that kind of, thinking as well yeah and um yeah like i said the the game is still relatively young we're only uh two expansions in so these could totally change with you know all all it takes is like one big expansion that's like way different and just totally shakes everything up so Mm -hmm. that's the type of stuff i like i like i like when things come in and totally shake things up yeah so yeah, it's cool, and I think we're we're hopefully planning on you know maybe doing a little bit more of a dive into these archetypes kind of in the future. You know, okay, if I want to be aggro, how am I playing? Like, what are my concerns in in game? What are my concerns when I'm building my deck? Um, because I think I think it's a good way. You know, for for us um, as quote unquote content creators, I think it's a good way to talk about decks and give general advice without having to be like okay, today we're going to talk about this specific deck, you know, and get re- get way too mm. specific where, like, it just doesn't, it doesn't mean anything, especially, like you said, as more cards come out. Whereas, like, if you think about it at a broader level, you know, advice for, like, hey, I'm an aggro player, what am I looking for is going to matter whether you're playing Bruja and Sucker Punch like we have right now or, you know, whether you're playing, maybe there's some Nosferatu aggro deck that we haven't really thought about or, or a future clan that's super aggro, you know, but, but that kind of general advice will still hold true. 
Yeah, and especially like, you know, we've played a ton of card games, so we kind of already know the cards to look for in the archetypes we want to play. Um, but that's not necessarily true for someone who might like if this is their first card game, they might say like, OK, I want to play aggro, but I have no idea what a good card looks like for aggro. We can try to break that type of things down, like what mm-hmm. you're look, lo- what you're looking for. Yeah. Yep, exactly. I, like I said, that's why I like I like this tool to enable some kind of interesting conversations and hopefully hopefully good advice. <laughs> yeah, that's the advice is advice, but good advice is better. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we're I mean, we're and don't get us wrong, we're not afraid to have uh, wrong opinions. I think it's we've had those before and we'll have yeah. them again. Yeah, but, we we in no way think that just cuz we're uh we're out there and talking to people that we're the end all be all on the yes. ideas. <laughs> but we definitely we definitely prefer our ideas and our opinions and everything to be <laughs> at the very least helpful even if they're not true. <laughs> right. Yes. All right. Well, I think that'll wrap up this one. Um any other closing thoughts you might have? Um not really. I mean, you know, again, we uh we put out a a survey last week cuz we, you know, we took a break. Um we put out a kind of announcement um, put out a survey kind of asking, you know, what you, what kind of content y'all like, what you want to hear more of, of. So if you haven't seen that, um, I think it's, it's on our Facebook page. Um, so please strongly, yeah, I should, uh, I should pin that actually. So that's the first thing people see. <laughs> Perfect. That would be awesome. Yeah. So, you know, it's just, it's just a help. I mean, it's not long. It's just a few questions, but it, it's just helpful for us as we sort of plan out what what the show is going to look like going forward um it's just helpful to get to get that feedback and really know what people are interested in so thank you yeah. thank you everybody who's responded and if you haven't please it would help us out if you go uh do that yeah i mean we're we're at the behest of what you guys want to listen to like we have our own ideas um but if those ideas are like wildly inaccurate and it's something that you guys don't care about then let us know mm-hmm. <laughs> um but yeah, that's about it for... I don't have anything else really either. Um, like I said, the holidays are coming up, so we're going to have probably a little extra time to get some more creative juices flowing. So hopefully we'll have some yeah. different formats in the future, not just us on here talking. We'll try and get some uh, more lively groups going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've definitely got... I think we've definitely got some some cool plans for some interesting content, interesting episodes, um, some topics uh again like you said you know maybe getting getting a few more group groups in a few more guests uh, maybe in a little bit more formal context you know um stuff like that um so yeah i'm excited i'm i'm excited for our future um (laughs) and also also excited for the holidays and all that good stuff and not thinking about this for a little bit once it gets to christmas (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, with that, um, we got we got all the socials out there. We got Facebook, uh, Twitter, Instagram, which we need to be better at putting content out uh, on like just the stuff that we're not always posting just the episodes about. We need to get more like conversations going. The errata one was really good. Uh, a lot of people like yeah. talking about the errata. Um I know we're it'll probably get a little bit more once Wolf and Rat is officially released. I think, uh, unfortunately, I think it got delayed a little bit with some issue with, I don't know if it affected everyone. I know it affected us, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so definitely once that comes out, we'll probably get some uh, discussion starters up in there. What everyone thinks 
new decks can look like um, yeah. the expansions because I, I I tend to forget sometimes when we talk about it online that not everyone has access to the new cards uh, like physically. Um, right. So it, it's always something to think about when talking. But yeah, we'll get that type of stuff flown in the future. Um, but yeah, I think for now, I'll bid everyone good evening. And stay spooky.